Hi, this is Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast, and now kind of a video cast about uh, uh, beginnings, new companies, new ideas in science, a little look at the future. And, and today we're actually going to talk about our own beginnings a little bit. So I'm here with June Deng, uh, uh, fresh back from maternity leave, our uh, lead bio partner. And, uh, and actually, uh, this is our fourth anniversary of doing the podcast. So we thought we'd talk about our own history a little bit. You were the first team member yep. um, at Joey Ants. Yep. It's such a pleasure to come back. I'm super excited to start um, working on investment again. Um, yeah, it's just a very exciting. Um, I think it's the first anniversary for the podcast, but my fifth year here at Joyance, I was the first one joined Joyance. It's a quite incredible journey. I really feel blessed about joining this journey. Well, it's been great to have you here. So what are your early memories of being here? I mean, I have mine, but mine are... Yeah probably sort of fuzzier than yours. You're younger than me. So uh, what's your origin story for how we found one another? Sure. Um, I am a scientist turned investor. So I basically started as investing more of the traditional life science companies like diagnostic and medical devices. Um, but then I was watching that um, the digital transformation is coming to healthcare. So I really want to test my hypothesis of investing into digital health. At the beginning, I was introduced to the founding partner, Bill Losey, and Bill introduced me to you. I feel quite incredible um, that I was given the opportunity to invest into the area that I'm really passionate about. One of that is digital healthcare and healthcare transformation. Um, and um, that's how I joined and I think what's really attracted me joining the company, number one is the thesis. We invest in data for moments. That's very unique. I think I spend a lot of time trying to figure out what does that mean. Um, and two is the culture. Um, this have we have incredible culture. These two, I think, are are the most attractive factors for me to join the firm. Got it. Well, of course, you're part of having created that culture. We can maybe talk about that more. Sure. And uh, in a minute, my memory of it is that when we started Joyance and we began saying to folks, we're going to have a fund about how science can deliver delight and uh, and about delightful moments, uh, we were getting a, a lot of eye roll from uh, all kinds of folks, from uh, entrepreneurs, from other investors who are basically, uh, that's nice. The old guys are being weird. Uh and uh, and we wanted folks with science backgrounds on the team, but many of the folks we talked to had no interest in what we were doing because we weren't a traditional bio fund and we weren't approaching it in the same way. And we were talking about things very differently. And you quite uniquely seemed to get it and seemed excited by it, which uh, I recall being uh, sort of flabbergasted by it's like, yes, finally, somebody who gets it and uh, really gratified uh, by because what you've done before, as you talked about, had been pretty traditional. Mm -hmm. That's exactly true. I think um, I appreciate that, um, that comments. I, I think I come from like a combination of seeing the tech investment uh, as well as life science investment. And at that time, I think digital transformation is transforming a lot of areas, uh, consumer, media, logistics. Healthcare is, is representing 25% um, of the US 
economy is due for a transformation. I remember I was interviewed a couple of years ago and people are asking me whether digital health is a bubble or not. And then now it's everyone's adopting it. So this is one example and we're investing in a lot of other forefront technologies um, such as cell, cellular-based food, uh, robotics, uh, neuroscience, microbiome. Back then, like it's just emerging and now every single element of this are um, being accepted by not only the investment community, but also the overall ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, it certainly seems to have changed over these last uh, few years. We don't get the eye roll now. No. In fact, we get a lot of folks over there, whole institutes. In fact, I think there's one at your alma mater that's looking at aspects of this and looking at uh, the uh, biological impact of systemic gratitude and uh, of the sense that uh, uh, happiness affects health and health affects happiness, which we didn't get a lot of instant agreement on five years ago. Folks are nodding before we're saying it now, and uh, maybe we've been part of that, but it's also, I think, been COVID and uh, a whole range of things that have caused folks to wake up to the fact that this is uh, this is true, and right. we're just trying to react to it. Yeah, COVID, despite how bad it is, um, definitely let the healthcare um, ecosystem seeing that innovation is the necessary. And then we need faster, more scalable, more consumer-centric solutions. And that's happening over the past few years. Yeah, it accelerated a lot of our portfolio. We can't claim to have had a lot to do with that, except that we were in health. And uh, we were aware pandemics could happen, but uh, uh, COVID basically grabbed chunks of the future and pulled them forward. Absolutely. I don't know, five years, 10 years. Uh, and I don't think those changes will go back to where they were uh, uh, where they were before. I totally agree on that. I think um, internet was kind of thing 20 years ago and then digital health, but in the future, probably it's just going to be a norm. Yeah, it, it certainly feels like it. You know, one of the things that uh, thinking back to when we got Joyance going, I think was how little we knew we had about what we were doing. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like we were completely uh, stumbling in the dark, but it wasn't far from that. I mean, we had this notion of delightful moments, but we really had no idea back then what delightful moments meant. Uh, I remember a lot of conversations about, so you know, are we focusing on emotion detection or emotion creation or emotional alteration or uh, something else? And, uh, um, and we really were just kind of looking everywhere at once, trying to get a sense of uh, what it was we were really looking for. Is, is, is that how you recall it? Oh, definitely. I, I found the thesis very attractive. I think a lot of um, talented people joining our team has found that as well. And entrepreneurs find a lot of synergies uh, with the delightful moment thesis. Um, and I, I remember um, that we had a lot of discussions regarding what really um, consists delightful moments, what delight means, what moments means. Um, are we investing in wellness, happiness? Are we investing more of the health? It's, um, yeah, that's actually like a curious for me, like how, is that something that um, you come out, um, Bill come out, or is this combination of um, discussions within the begin, be, beginning founders? It's a great question. Well, um, 
we uh, both Bill and I, and of course Bill Losey, the founder here, is retired now, but he was very much involved when we got this all started. He and I both come from the same background at Zip Davis, where we were kind of drilled on dialectic. In other words, don't fall in love with your own thinking. Always ask questions. Always. Uh, look out at the world and try and understand what's happening there by asking questions and being open to actually listening to the answers. And and that's what we tried to do here in the beginning. It's just that we're about delightful moments. What's delight? Is delight the same as happiness or is it a component of happiness or is it entirely different than happiness? And uh, what's the definition of a moment uh, and started developing those uh, ideas that I think we use day in, day out now that um, delight does exist in time. And it's that you're going from zero to one. So zero is humdrum, same old thing every day. And one is a little different, Mm -hmm. a little exalted in one way or another. And it goes on for a little while and then you go back. And uh, and now we have all these ideas about enablers that it's not just skiing Mm -hmm. is a ordinary activity skiing on a glorious morning with perfect snow and the snow is pluming around you and you feel the presence of God, that's not. And that's kind of the difference between a moment and a delightful moment, that sense of uplift, whether it comes from you know, doing something with your mind or doing something with your microbiome or doing something with your surroundings or whatever. And we didn't have any of those ideas when we started. Um, and neither did the entrepreneurs. We now have entrepreneurs who reach out to us going, I have a delightful moments company and I want to tell you about it. And that wasn't the case five years ago for any of us. Yeah, absolutely. We are the top search if um, anybody search of joyful or delightful experience. And I think also we had a wider definitions of the sectors we want to invest in. And I remember like we started this investing in neuroscience uh, we investing in uh, genomics, uh, microbiome, certain um, pleasure-causing consumer products. Now we're also looking at sustainability. We're also looking at space, like how right. the environment you're in are influencing the delightful, the health status for a human being and fitness and mental health, for sure. That's a big part for us as well. Right. Yeah, and I think all those come from, you know, relooking at the fundamentals every year uh, with the notion that we're pretty strong on here. What do we know? What don't we know? What's happening? And we've seen attitudes among people change. So the focus on inner space, I want to make sure I'm in tune, proximate space, spending all this time during COVID in my house uh, with the ones I love. I'm realizing things about those interactions and, and where I'm at that matter to me in a way they didn't before. And also public space, that the notion of walking out your front door is a neutral experience is not the case now. It's a considered experience. Am I going to be okay? Do I have to put a mask on? Are other people putting masks on? Is it weird out there? And uh, and those changes in attitudes uh Entrepreneurs are human beings too. They reflect those changes and science responds to them. And yeah, I think uh, uh, the whole sense that you can't have much delight if uh, you don't have access to food, if you don't have access to water, if the air is unbreathable, if the planet becomes untenable, then we're going to go down the Maslow scale. And our whole purpose as a fund is to 
think about ways to bring folks up the Maslow scale a little bit. And so we have to focus at that macro level too. That's a bit, very philosophical <laughs> discussion about uh, how we set up the thesis. Yeah, you know, and we've talked, one of the things that's interesting is sometimes we see these things through research. We're looking at attitudes or law changes and, but the entrepreneurs don't get it yet. So there are sometimes years, uh, water was a pretty good example where we've been talking about pure water in the palm of my hands is something people are really interested in having for two years now. And we're just now beginning to see, in fact, yeah. three companies in the last six weeks uh, with different approaches yeah. to uh, delivering that. And before that, the entrepreneurs weren't acting uh, on the idea and now they are. So now we may actually get some chances to invest in this space, having desired to invest in this space for a long time. Yeah, exactly. I think food as well. Uh, I think five years ago when I joined the food, it's just a number of a handful of um, cellular based um, meat companies. But now like the infrastructure is more and more mature. We have I mean, two hands of, I think not one hand of um, yeah. companies in the area and they're doing really well. Yeah, they are. And you know, it's one of those areas where I actually think we started investing before we understood all the fundamentals. In other words, we recognize that this is science is making possible things that weren't possible before people seem open to the idea of recognizing you need protein and all that, but not wanting to have hurt animals, not wanting to harm the planet, et cetera. Um, uh, having more control. But I, I think the core notion that the food supply needs to be decoupled from land and right. the fish supply needs to be decoupled from the ocean because of global warming and global instability in a whole host of things. I, I think that really emerged about halfway through our investing in the category that, you know, why this really matters is we're going to run out of food. Mm -hmm. um, started looking at, at migration to some of the growing areas and stuff. And, you know, even now, uh, the story this week, right? One of the big mm -hmm. uh, uh, dams out here in the Western U.S. has gone down to a point so low that a body that had been sunk in the reservoir decades ago was found. Um, and so water is going to become a real issue as uh, uh, the environment uh, uh, shifts, yep. uh, we think. And, and we need to we need to we desire to find a way to help folks respond to that as opposed to just being victims of the uh, of the change. That's exactly true. I think this is my blessing to be able to join this team and supporting entrepreneurs with big missions. Um, but um, I also see in this pattern that it's not, I feel like we're repeating our history here that we identify a sector that few people are looking at or few people are doing it, doing at it. And we started paying attention to those feedback sectors. And after a couple of years, there like, companies start emerging enough, a couple of years okay there's an explosion of how much of uh, attention is in those sectors. Yeah, exactly. We get, we talk a lot uh, inside the fund that getting the sectors right is a big part of what we do. So if we pick up next generation food early and see that the science is ready and the people want this and start getting to understand it, and that happens, then as a fund, we're going to do very, very well because uh, the uh, early indications we picked up on turn out to be true. And again, if one is replacing the entire worldwide food system, 
that's an enormous amount of value. And so uh, some of our companies will do great. Some of our companies will do less great, but the whole category is doing great. So everything rises with it. And, uh, and uh, that's something we try to do. And we've, you know, gotten it right uh, a few times. Uh, funds are still young, but it looks promising. And hopefully we can uh, keep on doing that. Absolutely. I think that may be a segue to talk about where uh, our approach is a data-driven approach. Do you think like the reason that we identify the sectors at a very early beginning is that because our human power or data power um, or a combination of that? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I, it's for sure a combination. It, it's not possible for, well, it's possible for software you know, if it's got access to appropriate data to do things like say category A, if these are the factors is stronger than category B. Uh, it can do that for sure. But what software can't do is say, this group of human beings has a greater potential for success than that group of human beings. There's just, it's too human. And uh, there's too much going on and it's too right brain a uh, process, you know, filling in all these gaps and things like that. So uh, uh, I think we get a lot of benefit from all the data our system can find in understanding categories and uh, what's happening in terms of dollars and entrepreneurial effort and science and law and everything um, in these areas. But what it comes down to, the software is there just to help the human team be more effective and more efficient. Uh, and I think if, you know, at the heart of it, uh, I agree. I think we have a great team. I love working with our team. They're wonderful people. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, every single one of us is flawed. And every single one of us is flawed in ways we recognize and in ways we don't recognize. So I think one of the big things for us is a recognition as a group that that's true. And so we're trying as a group to back each other up and trying as a group to make decisions that uh, we all can support and that are driven by the truth, what's going on out in the world and not just because June likes it or Mike likes it, or I think the uh, entrepreneur is cool, but uh, on uh, things that are more fundamental than that. Yeah, I think you touched upon two very important cultures of our funds. I think that's attracted me and attracted a lot of people uh, joining our fund. One is, um, as you mentioned, we always seek to choose. And how, like, as you said, like, however startled that is, we always seek the choose and try to make the decision based on the choose and data. And the other is, as you always say to us, uh, a group of human beings who love each other and loves what they're doing, going to accomplish everything. I think that's true for any organizations, any, especially for the young teams, like our team, like at the startup we're investing. I think that's incredible culture for this one. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And, and, and well, you know, this is one of my core beliefs, and it, it's been present all through my career. But I really uh, do believe in it, you know, especially doing what we do. We're remote. I mean, you and I are relatively close to one another. We're both in the Bay Area, but we have team members, you know, in Asia, Europe, all over the place. And we didn't see each other for two years. And now we're starting to see each other again. But even in normal times, we're not together uh every day. And um, if we can share that sense of we're actually all trying to figure out what's true or get as close to the truth as we can, that sort of keeps us together as a group, keeps us cohesive and supportive. 
as a group means that our conversations with one another actually mean something mm -hmm. uh, to each of us. And we have to treat each other with respect because I can't make these decisions on my own, neither can you. So we can only do it together. And, and uh, I think it's done very good things for us. And uh, we also think it's fundamental to the startups that uh, they you know, only think it's going to be fun to start a company. And then when they get into it, they realize how horrible an experience it is. And um, only groups that are crazy about what they're doing and really uh, feel strongly positively about one another can survive a crucible like that. Um, and uh, uh, we think it's very important to keep that in mind when we're looking at the companies uh, and evaluating uh, the teams. Yeah. Absolutely. I think resilience is the number one important thing for entrepreneurs who are selecting and passionate. I completely agree with that. I think another discussion we had a lot from the beginning, even to now, is what stage we want to invest. We select the inception stage, which traditionally believe as the death body for traditional ventures um, because the failure rate is so high. Well, did you have that conversation with the founding teams, um, what's your thoughts on that? Well, it was uh, when we started this, I mean, uh, I've been doing this a long time. Bill had uh, an active, uh, successful career as an angel investor and all that. And we knew what the fundamentals were. We knew why. I mean, I've been in several funds. Uh, you go into the A or just before the A because it's a lot of data. Then you can see how the company's done, how the team has performed. You can write a bigger check. You're halfway through the company's development process. So if it takes 10 years for them to exit from the A, it takes five. And you get a better IRR. So there's all kinds of reasons to do that. Um, that's why so many funds do it. The problem is so many funds do it. A couple of old techies with small fund were hardly likely to be able to muscle their way into all those deals. And uh, so, uh, you know, I did some work early in my career with folks who were experts in Graham Wall Street investing. And Graham Wall Street investing says, if everybody's going to the right, your opportunity can't be to the right. That opportunity's already been taken by others. So you have to look somewhere else. So we look somewhere else. And um, the prejudice when we started the funds, it's less prevalent a prejudice now, which you just can't go early. It's impossible. You can't find the companies. If you can find them, you can't know anything about them because they haven't done anything yet. And uh, even if you can figure that out, you can't write a big enough check to make any difference. And so we went in with some bright kids from Zip Brothers and uh, uh, our early team. And we just took that set of mythologies apart and looked at each aspect of it and said, is that really true? Is that really true in the world right now? And we came to the conclusion that with all the data around today, it wasn't necessarily true that we could create a bloom of information by identifying certain segments and focusing on those and packing a lot of information into those segments with people and software and having a team that was open to looking at it all and looking for patterns that we could pick up very early, a sense that in this frame, that company's stronger than that company. And so if the frame's going to rise, we should put money in that company and uh, expect something good to happen. And it turned out we were right that that is doable and, um, and we could do it. And we did it in the U.S. And then we demonstrated we could do it in Europe. And we did it in a, several different categories. And then we 
demonstrated we could do it related to uh, health. And, um, and so I think um, it's been very satisfying to see. Now other funds are starting to recognize the same thing. And so our obligation as a team is to continue to rethink this and innovate and try and come up with better ways to do what we're doing and never to sit back on our laurels and uh, get all smug about, look how cool we are. Uh, but uh, wake up every morning thinking about there's got to be a better way to do this. And why not us uh, to be uh, the ones that think of it? Yeah, we're innovating as our startups are innovating. Yeah. That's incredibly helpful for the investment team as well. Is um, we used to like um, like mostly get the deal from referrals um, as um, right. this is very network driven career. But we, I think we disrupted that a bit um, by using systematic approach and data driven approach. That's super helpful. Yeah, it's usually helpful, and I think, and I think it's been proven that way. And and it's usually helpful even if the companies being found by our machine learning system don't turn out to be the companies we invest in. That's mm -hmm. one of the big things that. Um, it may well be that our superstar CEO is the source of another superstar CEO because they sort of seek one another out. But how can we know that that next company has the right stuff? And only if we're aware of all the available options and trends and what areas of science are being exploited and where are the teams and uh, uh, how are these products gonna get to market and what are people looking for? Only if we look at all of that, can we see enough of the surrounding uh, landscape to be able to say, well, this company has a strong enough set of indications of success that we should act on it. And so we talk about that a lot at the fund too, celebrating the no's as much mm -hmm. as the yeses and celebrating uh, all the work that goes into evaluating a company. We don't do anything on that work changes you, you know, things you didn't know. It changes the team. The team is aware of things, uh, that it might not be aware of otherwise and gives us a context that allows us to make more confident uh, decisions. Yep, that's totally true. I think um, um, not only we are maturing as an, an known investors in joyful experience, delightful moments, um, but also our investment strategy has been evolving over the years as well. We normally, like I remember at the beginning, we write like 50, 100, Okay, um, checks yeah. and now we have more dry power. We have decided that we want, we have an opportunity fund that we invest in more strategically afterwards, um, after the initial investments. Where do you see we're going in the future? Do you see we're becoming more, we're, we're gonna take more um, board seats, we're gonna invest in more heavily into a certain company or um, uh, do you think we're gonna use, adopt our traditional approach? It's well, it always seems to change and it changes with the team. So the short answer is it isn't up to me. It's up to the team. And as you know, you came back from maternity leave and there were probably half a dozen people in partner meeting uh, yesterday who weren't there when you went on maternity leave. Yeah. So uh, bigger team, younger team. We brought in a number of young people from Stanford and Columbia and stuff. And um, and uh, a new senior uh, investment partner starts next week in London. So as that team evolves, the point of view will evolve. Uh, what seems to be true uh, over these last few months is the team is starting to believe that we as a group really can recognize what a great company looks like early on. 
<laughs> and uh, and five years ago when we started, we kind of sort of could. So we felt like we have to, we've got the we've got the category right. And we have to put small checks into a bunch of companies and get to know them before we can really get a sense of which companies are going to stand out from the rest. <laughs> so small checks and then try and get a somewhat bigger check in before the A. And now <clears throat> what team members are starting to say is we actually know. We know. We can <laughs> see it. Everybody reacts to it. Everybody stands up and applauds at the same moment. <laughs> and if it's true, we know. Shouldn't we get a big check into that company at the beginning? Shouldn't we be more involved with the great companies? Shouldn't we be coring more of our money into the companies that are going to win? So, uh, you know, we wrote our first million dollar check, bigger than a million dollar check last week. <laughs> uh, and uh, our funds still aren't all that big. They're a lot bigger than they were when Bill and I started and even when you got here. Yep. But that seems to be the direction we're going. But, uh, you know, the judgment of the team uh, this fund belongs to you guys. Um, and, uh, each year it belongs to the young team a little bit more. Uh, you'll be the ones that determine, uh, that, but that certainly seems to be in the wind right now. Be pickier, commit more to the companies we all really feel strong about and, uh, uh, try and be a fundamental part of the early stage of those companies. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mike, for your Trust. I think uh, one thing I've seen myself change is I definitely become more confident in terms of uh, making investment bets. Um, I remember I was brought on the team as a scientist um, and analyst, yep. giving a lot of technical opinions uh, and analysis. And you give me the opportunity to make independent decisions. Um, and I learned my lessons, some like learn my lessons from some failures. In some successful cases, um, last year, um, just really lucky to have seen three companies I led or involved um, had a successful M&A. Um, as the feedback loop is so long for venture capitalists, especially with folks on early stage, I think this opportunity to be able to make independent decisions for investments is incredible. So what's your expectation mm -hmm. for us and for the fund going forward? Well, we'll find out. Uh, so, uh, of course, Joyance has one big LP. So in the end, uh, will uh, serve the goals of our LP. It, funds always serve the goals of uh, their LPs. And we're part of helping a great big company essentially think through its potential futures. So I think we'll be on the Joyance side, uh, part of that for sure. And whatever that uh, means. And uh, I think that's going to be a very interesting process. Companies are being compelled to change by the change in people and circumstances and markets and all of that. And we have an opportunity by uh, uh, getting involved with companies in these areas early to be part of that. And I think beyond that, there's a chance for this group to essentially invent its own future. Uh, what are our uh, social starts funds uh, uh, going to be? What are our multi-LP funds going to be? How radically do we want to uh, innovate in venture? Uh, and uh, I've got some ideas about that, but uh, I know other team members do as well. And uh, I think it's really going to be up to uh, uh, up to the team. We did a fundraise during COVID. That was about as much fun as a root canal. Um, and so uh, is the team up for fundraising? Uh, this is going to be a very strange year. Uh, lots of bizarre economic signals and uh, 
retrograde stuff going on out there. So um, there's going to be a lot of conversation about just how much we want to progress and uh, right now, how much we want to stay home, focus on doing what we're doing right now uh, and leave, uh, you know, future developments for the fund to the future. Um, uh, but I think data-driven early stage investing is the wave of the future and we're out on the front of that wave. And I think we have uh, an opportunity and almost an obligation to uh, uh, make the most of that that we can. What do you think? I think I completely agree with you. I think uh, investing into the areas that's more impactful uh, for human beings, not just the healthcare, but also like a lot of the things you just touch upon, like water, food, energy, and generating more impact and supporting more impactful entrepreneurs is going to be, it is, and it's going to be the mission of this fund and more automations. And we are supporting innovative founders and we ourselves are very innovative and the tools in the data-driven approach. Um, I think that's only going to make our team make better decisions and access to founders that traditionally hard to access and more automations. I think um, that's definitely incredible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and uh, I want us to work a little harder on innovating on exits and stuff too. We've gotten pretty good at finding companies, uh, pretty good, I think, at getting um, investment into good companies early. And now if we can help more on the other side of things, uh, uh, how companies uh, uh, do uh, produce value, how they can access the market. We already had one SPAC, but SPACs are just the beginning of uh, tokenizations and things like this may turn out to be very interesting for our companies and something uh, we have to understand, experiment with, and uh, uh, figure out what is uh, its uh, rightful place in our uh, our toolkit. Yep. You know, uh, we could go on and on for hours, but I'm looking at the time and I'm thinking, you know, this could wind up being the longest one of these we've ever done. So uh, it's probably a good idea just to go ahead and wrap it up, at least for now. Uh, uh, so here's to the next uh, five years, uh, June. Uh, let's do it again uh, uh, on the nine-year anniversary, 10-year anniversary of these podcasts, uh, and we'll see what things look like then. Yeah, very much looking forward to that. Thank you, Mike. Me too. Thank you. Thanks for having the courage to join us <laughs> at the beginning when none of us knew what was going on. It's an amazing journey. Thank you for coaching me. I really appreciate it. It's a uh, Good teachers are made by great students, so it's easy. Happy to do it. Thanks, June. Thank you, Mike.